Good morning and welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses, as we broadcast on Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. Toronto, 106.5 in Ottawa, 95.7. And of course, anywhere around the globe on the Radio Canada app. And just download that app and uh, type in 106.5 Element FM or 95.7 Element FM, and you can listen anywhere on the globe. Today on the show, we are very uh, honored to have uh, another journalist on the show with us today. Alan Carter is the anchor of Toronto's global news flagship show, Newscast News at 5.30 and 6. And he's also the host of Focus Ontario, a political debate program that uh, brings on many of the players from Queen's Park. Alan, welcome to the show today. Well, thank you so kindly for having me on. Oh, it's great that you're you're able to be here. You know, it was it was joked earlier that we don't have our own Queens Park reporter, so we kind of uh, borrowed you for the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, glad to be here. So, if you don't mind, let's let's talk a little bit about your early days. How did you get started in in journalism? Well, I went to uh, Ryerson yep. for radio and television yep. arts, and uh, quite frankly, journalism was not really where I thought I would go. It wasn't. Uh, you know, even though I was a, a consumer of news and, and, and of content in a sort of a, just a constant way, um, I never really considered a, a career in journalism as my foremost choice. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I really focused on radio. In fact, okay. I thought I was going to have a career yeah. in radio. And then for a while, I thought I was going to make uh, music videos, but only for mm. bands I liked, mm. like just cool bands only. <laughs> sure. Like this, you know, the folly of, of the young, right? Like the, somehow that, that this was going to be my ethical standards. Yeah. Well, um, Shortly after getting out of school, I looked around and um, I, I ended up with a job in Vancouver, uh, just sort of happened to be in the right place at the right time. Um, and I got a job reading the news, mm. uh, um, 30 seconds mm. on the hour, every hour. Mm. And so I got a job doing this between midnight Saturday and 6 a.m. Sunday, like the overnights, right? Yeah. Uh, and sure. this was great because I was terrible at it. And the bosses... <laughs> Would never watch because they cut your teeth, and yeah. so I was awful. And I think I scarred a generation of mm. young children in Vancouver <laughs> who got up for Saturday and Sunday morning cartoons right. and wondered who this sweaty, uh, pimply faced, skinny kid was on on their television. But I got a little better, sure. and then and then I began to work on my journalism skills. Mm. You know, I had the I had the production skills, but I began to learn how to tell stories. I began to really invest my time in. Uh, watching the other journalists and mm-hmm. how they did it, yep. and, and and I got an incredible on-the-job training in Vancouver, and I spent seven years there and and never looked back. And on-the-job training, there's something to be said about that, don't you think? Well, absolutely. You know, I, I think anybody will tell you that um, what school does is it it perhaps prepares your mind. Yeah. It. It's almost if you think of your mind as a computer, it what it does is it 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 sets your mind up mm. to be able to accept information. Right. And if you think about it that way, it it's absolutely necessary to have the education to be able to put you on a footing that you can learn yes. once you hit right. the actual industry. Yes. But whatever industry you choose, you learn when you get into the industry, and I think anybody will tell you that, whether you're an engineer, whether you're a radio host, anything. Yeah, and, and what's interesting, the other thing that comes to mind when you say that is, of course, that no matter where you end up working, uh, whatever you have been, whatever equipment you may have been trained on at school, <laughs> <laughs> you are definitely not going to be working with that equipment once you get out in the real world. Well, that and, and that is true. Um, which is where you then all of a sudden you find this intersection between practical <laughs> yes. education and theoretical education yep. and which is more important. Mm. And then you sort of think, well, wait a minute, I have this theoretical education and this gives me no skills to actually go and do and whatever mm. widget thing that I need to. Except for, mm. the, like you say, the widgets change so quickly. Yeah. Sometimes the theory is more important. Sometimes the, you know, the practical is more important. And, and you know, uh, from my own experience, sometimes you go to a station and uh, they have equipment that probably – Hasn't been updated for a while. It uh, may be, you know, outdated, uh, but that's what you're. That's what you have to work with. You begin to t- you 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 learn to transcend yeah. the uh, and you work around and yeah. you you and and you you try and raise your um, your game to meet whatever challenge there is. Now, when you say you you went to Ryerson for journalism, what attracted you to journalism to begin with? Well. 
I think it. it now you said, you, but you said you were attracted to radio. You ra- to well, I went radio videos, and television but, arts, yeah. so which is a, a a more of a practical um, sort of yeah. bent, and that that program exists still today. Um, what attracted me to journalism right away was storytelling. Mm. It, it, I, I realized that you know this was like it was it, it allowed me to tell stories. Yes, um, and it also allowed me to shine a light on things that no one else was seeing. Can you give me an example of what you mean by that? In my early days in Vancouver, we worked in the downtown east side, which I'm sure you're familiar mm-hmm. with um, the kind of problems yep. that come with that area of the downtown east side in Vancouver. And early in my career, uh, before I was a reporter, I was, I, I was really just a helper, a guy carrying tapes. But we went for a ride along with paramedics um, as they worked uh, a night shift on a weekend in the downtown east side. And I watched them uh, revive uh, a man uh, who was passed out uh, on a, in a rooming house hallway who looked blue. I thought he was dead. He was blue. Uh, they gave him uh, Narcan, mm. which we still hear mm. about today. Um, and that revived him. He sat up, they transported him to the hospital. We, we spent the entire evening with him mm-hmm. and I saw things that I never knew existed. Right. And I realized that I could tell a wider audience that I could, I could tell other kids like me. I mean, I was a young man in my twenties. Sure. I could, you know, in their comfortable suburban lives, mm-hmm. I could let them know what I had seen and, and I could convey those stories and that. I realized that by, you know, you have all that raw data coming into you mm-hmm. as you see it all happening. But how do you then take all of that raw data, all that emotion, that drama of that man sitting up, and how do you best convey that to an audience yes. and do it in two minutes yeah, on television? Exactly. That's right. And so that becomes the art form. Yep. And that is, is what f- continues to fascinate me to this day. Yeah, so you mentioned storytelling and, and, and the, the art of being able to get that story down to two minutes or a minute and a half or whatever it might be. Does that, does that become frustrating for you at times? Do you, do you feel that, that that is enough time to get the story across or do you think it's a headline? Well, it depends what you're talking about. I mean, obviously, there's a great saying uh, that comes from the marketing world. It comes from the advertising world mm. that I say all the time. And that uh, great advertising is like ballet in a phone booth. That it is art within a very confined structure. Mm. So that you must perform within these very, very tight yep. structures. So that then what you're talking about is, all right, l- let's just pick a, let's pick a subject from the news Today, today, sure. um, let's call it. Let's say the uh, the Ontario government's proposed overhaul of the health right um, sector. It's a very nuanced story. It's very complicated. Mm-hmm. It has a there's a there's a lot of different ways you can look at it. Right? How do you make that a minute and a half <laughs> story? How do you do that? Right. Well, the ballet in the phone booth is being able to pick out what are the most important points to the audience to deliver it to them in a fashion which is going to be relatable, understandable, um, and let them come away, even in that short time, Mm -hmm. with a greater understanding of it. Now, you know, television, if we're talking broadcast television, linear broadcast television, Mm -hmm. part of that somehow is a kind of an overview. That's what we provide every night, 5.30 to 6.30. This is is what's happening in Toronto tonight. And this is what is most important. And so here is the overhaul of the Ontario Mm. uh, health, uh, you know, the healthcare system and what you need to know about it. Right. There are other avenues at globalnews.ca. There are other ways you can deeper dive and we provide Mm -hmm. all of that as well. Right. Yep. So this came to mind as we were talking about, do you you think that, and this is sort of jumping ahead, I was going to sort of launch into this a little bit later, but as we were there now, do you think that 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 is part of the way that Trump is saying it's fake news that that stories that are that are are only telling part of the part of it or or the words that are used to tell a story uh, when when someone uh, chooses uh, to to try and get that story down to two minutes that it, it isn't because it is such a concise 
way of telling that, that it can be misconstrued as not being what the story is really about. That by brevity, um, that brevity allows holes to be poked in a story? Is that, is that what I you mean? I guess that's what we're saying, yeah. I think that, you know, the shorter something is, the tougher it is to be accurate. Sure. So it becomes more difficult. But I don't think that that is where you find the opening into into accusations of fake mm. news. Okay. I think that's a different thing altogether. I think that, you know, we we live in a world where we can have any depth of information on anything that mm. we want, any time. Sure. And so I work in a couple of, you know, I work in all of those mediums, right? Mm-hmm. So I work in linear television, which is at 5.30 every night yep. while I'm on TV. Yep. I work, uh, you know, in, in uh, the online world and also in radio and all, all of these pl- these platforms. And I don't think that it's brevity or the concise nature of the reporting. I think the accusations of fake news and whether that comes from Donald Trump or whether it comes from um, the Ontario government is a way of obscuring the truth or or hazing the edges of the truth. Mm. So that if something is, you know, if the primary accusation is A, but, you know, the, you know, something in the story is not quite right, well, you go after that and you try and dismiss the entire, the mm. entirety of the narrative. Mm. And I think that's, that's incredibly dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so for, for people that, that may not know a lot about the news and how news is written, you know, as you mentioned, you want to get this story down to two minutes or a minute and a half or whatever it might be. Um, there's always an angle, though. You you want to pick something, as you say. You want to focus on something and bring that out. Um, and and of course, there's always different angles to a story that can be told. So when you're looking at a story, uh, what do you what do you look for? And as you mentioned, one thing you look for the most important elements of those things that you want to you want to get out to the to the audience. Um, if you want to uh, if you want to change that story or rewrite the story. Are you, are you looking to, to take a different angle on it or just put more meat on the story? What do you look for when you're starting to write something? Um, so a lot of what I cover, because I cover a great deal of politics, and I, I mean, I, you know, we have our exclusive reporting as well. But sometimes you got to keep in mind that, you know, the story that you're telling, everyone else is telling it to. Mm. And, and so let's take that. Sure. Because that's, yeah. I think that's something that I always try and keep in mind. Is this okay. a story only I'm telling mm. or is this a story that everyone else is telling right. today and I should wonder? I mean, mm. so what you, what I always look for is what is the most relatable thing? Okay. What is the thing that um, I always sort of bring it back to these sort of elemental things, which are very simplistic but very true. I, I ask myself when I go home tonight uh, – you know, and my my partner asks me what did I do today, and I tell her how am I going to say it. Mm. If if I call my dad, and he asks me what are you working on, and I tell him, that's probably what the story is. Right. And so it becomes this sort of idea of relatability. What mm-hmm. is the most important thing? And then, of course, you know, the medium is the message, as mm-hmm. Mr. McLuhan always right. said. So then you add in because the medium is so important when you're dealing with a visual medium. Mm. So now. Um, often the most important thing is the visual. For right. example, yesterday we aired um, a viral video of a man walking on some ice in the inner harbor in Toronto, and it's like open water, and it's a man wandering across the ice, and it's like it's out, it's wild to right. to see. Sure. And that that there, that's the story. Sure. So the medium is so important too when mm. you when you're doing that you know decision making at the top of. How am I going to tell this story? What's the most important visual? Mm. What's the most relatable thing? Mm. What's the most important part of the story? Mm. Is it about accountability? Often with government, it's about mm. pointing out they said this before, now they're saying this today. Right. How long have you been working in the industry? Roughly? Oh, God. Uh, I began in 1991. Uh, was my first job in Vancouver. Um, and I was there for seven years, and I went to Edmonton for a couple of years. I've been here in Toronto now for uh, 19 years this mm. year. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, 
Actually, sorry, pardon me. It's actually 20 in uh, in the fall. Boy, mm. time goes by. Eh? I, should, <laughs> I wonder if there's a watch in, in it for me. Uh, <laughs> I hope not. I don't want the watch yet. <laughs> I want to keep going. What have you noticed, uh, if any, changes in that time? And I guess uh, you, you could look at that from any, any way you want, uh, technologically, uh, the way stories have been told, how, how you know, social media has impacted things, obviously. Um, you know, what, what jumps out at you? Well, I think fragmentation, I think, mm-hmm. is probably the, the foremost thing. And when I was in school, of course, it had begun. Mm. Um, but none of us really, you know, in, in the late 80s could foresee what the digital impact yeah. would be or what even, you know, obviously we had no idea what the internet even was, you know. So at that point, you know, we thought about, you know, we talked about all oh, the 500 channel, mm-hmm. you know, universe yeah. and how – you know, everybody's got their own TV sure. channel. And then, and then, of course, exponentially from there, we have fragmented even more. Right. So that has, I think, been the most important thing. It's interesting because, yes, that's, that's happened. But the other thing, of course, has happened is that, that uh, technologies have converged. So, you know, like you said, you've got, uh, you've got online, you've got television, you've got radio, and all of those mediums are being used by Global or, or anyone else to, to get that message out as well. That, that's true, I think, but with the fragmentation, that's where we get into this problem now of being able to tailor yeah. your own sure. uh, news to your own preferences and how little now you, you – if you're a consumer of news, you probably notice, ask yourself, like, when was the last time you saw something that really challenged you that made you mad? Mm. And then ask yourself, wait a minute, am I consuming all my news through Google or Chrome? Mm. Mm. Like, who's giving me my news? Sure. You know, if I'm consuming it all through Facebook and I never get challenged, everything seems to be like supporting my worldview. That's probably a that's an issue, <laughs> right? Um, so I, I read in here that that one of the things that you did um, oh as a way of, um, of of being an example, uh, you you got yourself tasered. Yeah. Now this is before everybody just did it. Yeah. This is this is before it was O'Carroll. It was just like a thing to do. But no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no this was uh, uh, back uh, in the early aughts, and um, the Toronto Police had decided to bring in tasers on mm. a trial basis. Mm-hmm. Trial basis, um, and they had a press conference where they, you know, proudly proclaimed, "Well, this is this new non-lethal device that's going to save lives." And then they. Um, then they hooked up a retiring staff sergeant, mm-hmm. and they juiced this poor guy. Right, you know, as a you know, they thought that was funny. Uh, and then I decided, well, only way to tell the story is to mm. tell the story. Yeah, I think I remember seeing that. I think because uh, they have a, a couple of officers beside you, holding, yeah. making sure you were yeah. okay to. You know, yeah. So then, what them. happens when you're tasered yeah. is it's a pulse. It's like an yes. electrical pulse. And the the electrical pulse is designed to um, cancel out the electrical pulses that your body uses to actually uh, control your muscles. So what happens is that they, lovely. So that it then so that basically what then happens is that you uh, your all your muscles kind of convulse, sort of or? well all your muscles essentially just stop working. Yeah. Um, and it's like a bump, 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 yeah. bump, bump, It's like a, a, oh, a ramps up. It yeah. ramps up really quickly, and it is and painful. And the other thing is, is that when it happens, you can search this online, by the way, Alan Carter mm-hmm. Taser for those yeah. interested in hearing me scream in agony. Mm. Uh, and for many years, the Global News crew, um, the library, just had that tape just right this ready mm. because people wanted to watch watch mm. it because mm. it's uh, because what happens when you get tasered is you involuntarily shout like you just right. the right. breath comes out of you so yeah. I, I scream out and drop yeah. uh, and then subsequently now tasers are much more controversial and the uses of them are much more controversial so it's less of a you know for a while there it was kind of a you know hokey thing but now the, it's different. The strength that they're hitting you with the, the voltage and, uh, and, and things do you know why they decided on that particular uh, level I mean was there any discussion around that why was it necessary to to hit someone with that much? In terms of what the it's fifty thousand volts. Well, yeah. I think that's just precisely how how it works because it. Mm. So what happens is it um, the tasers, it's uh, a, a mechanism that fires out of the guns that you see those mm-hmm. plastic 
look yellow ones, and two electrodes then embed yeah. themselves, and then right. a current goes through. Yes. And so that's why the current is designed at that. It's And it's up to the officer for how long they pull the trigger for uh-huh. as for how long right. Right. Uh, and how intense. I see. So when you see me, if you, if you see me, they basically, they just tap the thing. And that's it. Wow. And I just, I drop and then I'm back up again. Yeah. But if you wanted to put somebody down and put them down and keep them yeah. down, you could. Yeah. Wow. That sounds like a good spot to maybe take a break. We have to take a break here on Element <laughs> FM. <laughs> and uh, we'll be Don't back. Don't tase me, bro. <laughs> we'll be back on Moment of Truth with Alan Carter right after this. We are back on Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses, and you are listening on 106.5 in Toronto and 95.7 in Ottawa. We welcome our listeners and anyone else who might be joining us around the world on the Radio Canada app. Uh, Download and play, uh, just type in 106.5 Element FM or 95.7 and you can listen anywhere around the globe. Our guest today is uh, is a global news uh, reporter, Alan Carter, and uh, he anchors uh, Focus Ontario as well as the Global News at 5.30 and 6 daily. And it's a pleasure to have you here, Alan. We're glad you could uh, come in and and share stories with us today. Well, I appreciate being on. Thanks so much. So, you know, some of the the news uh, stories that are developing, of course, is the government's uh, uh, revamping of the healthcare uh, system. Uh, uh, It's something I'm sure you're on top of. What, what, What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's early days to understand precisely how it will work out, mm. and uh, as as we mentioned previously, it's a nuanced and uh, you know it's a difficult file. Remember, this is what the province of Ontario spends more money on this than anything else. The mm. health file is by by far the largest expenditure for the government, and the government sixty billion, I believe. I or, believe it's it, yeah. it, the most, and and of course, with the government um, trying to pare down a now what thirteen billion dollar deficit, mm. if I have the most recent number correct. Um, this is where they need to transform and they need to find savings. Having said that, Christine Elliott, the minister, says it's not about savings or yes. firing people. Right. But then you wonder, well, then why are we doing it? What the, what the minister says is, is that the system is too siloed, it's too segregated, right. it's too much bureaucracy. This has been a complaint of the conservatives for many years about mm. the LINs, mm-hmm. uh, the local health integration networks that yes. were set up by the liberals. Yep. So now these will all be folded along with a number of other agencies into this new super agency, yes. Ontario Health. How does this work in practical terms? That's, I think, the question everyone mm. has. And this is the question we try and answer on the right. news. And the answer is frustrating because it's, we just simply don't know. Mm. Right. We have to see how do these new health teams actually work in, um, you know, in practical terms. How do we make sure that we are streamlining um, bureaucracy and red tape without taking away correct oversight? Mm. Like those are important questions that I don't think we can possibly know the answer to for some time. Now, if it does help streamline the system, um, as you say, there might be some jobs that could be lost from just uh, you know uh, condensing some of these these jobs. Um, however, I think I heard the minister say that it's not about that, as you point out, and that that these jobs will be rolled into uh, to the, these um, um, these other areas that that are going to be created. I think it's difficult to believe that you can have consolidation without some sort of job loss on some level. I think it was mm-hmm. kind of a, I mean, I understand why the, why Doug Ford made that promise in the lead up to the election because his mm-hmm. predecessor, Tim Hudak promised that a lot of people would lose their jobs and mm-hmm. he lost the election. So mm-hmm. I think they were terrified mm-hmm. of anything like that. Now they have this sort of weird thing where every time they announce any kind of move, the first question is how many people are going to lose their jobs? Right. Because, you know, quite rightly, we're all trying to catch them saying, well, yeah, people will lose their jobs and that's a violation of the promise we made. Mm-hmm. When you when you think about the, the waiting periods that people have, when you think about um, the stories you hear about how the system is failing people right now, um, do you think it's wrong? Do you think the system is broken? Do you think it does need to be? I think so, absolutely. I think yeah. that, I mean... You know, hallway medicine is a thing. Mm. That's mm. not, you know, it's not invented. I mean, you, you know, if you yep. try and go to an emergency room, I mean, if you have a loved one that is in the system, if you're trying to get 
home care, if you know, if, if you are trying to navigate this system, you realize pretty quickly that it is almost a full-time job for someone who has a loved one who is sick just to try and stay on top of all of this stuff. What is your sense about why it's in this state? Like how how did this how did this happen? How how could it not have been kept abreast of and moved, you know, have the system stay on top of this so that it got to this point? Do you have any idea? Well, I mean, that's the kind of thing that is, you know, that's tasks for task forces and mm. White papers are, mm. are, you know, have looked at, and I don't think there's a simple answer to it other than the system has been starved. Mm. Um, and then I think there is truth to the, the story that there is um, an, a large bureaucracy. I don't know if the LINs, as they were set up by the liberals, have ever worked as well as th- even the government had hoped. Mm. You would, you, I mean, you can tell that by now the government, the, the, sorry, the, the liberals who are now, of course, just a rump of, uh, of a handful of MPPs, when they complain about the new system and the new setup, they don't, they say, actually, we're not here to defend the Lins, quote unquote. So mm-hmm. even they have abandoned them. Right. Speaking of political parties, and the way that that they handle themselves in the news or um, always want to downplay or uh, make the other party look look bad in terms of what they're doing. Um, <laughs> I get frustrated with that just because I wonder what are our political you know people doing to actually govern you know is there you know and how much how many times are are good uh, uh, are are good systems or 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 things that will be of benefit to the to the uh, to the general population uh, scrapped or made to look bad simply because of a political party not wanting to give credit to another party's you know uh, uh, doing something that could be a, a you know could be benefit to us. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think you express a frustration that is widely held. Um, through all elements of society, really, mm. with our political process. There is a hyper-partisanship that exists not just in Ontario, just mm. not in mm. Canada, in the United States. Mm. It's worldwide. Yeah. It really is. Um, there's an entrenchment of ideas. We mentioned, you know, if you're getting all your news from Facebook, I think, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think that there's an element of that. I think mm. that's in there somewhere. Helping people become less um, open to compromise, which is the art of politics at the end of the day. Compromise is the art of politics. Mm. Um, And you're seeing less and less of the ability to do so. Um, I will say that yesterday in the House, and I'm trying to remember precisely what the bill was, but there is a private member's bill that has been put forward by the NDP, the NDP, and um, the the health minister was asked, "Would the government support it?" And she said, "Yes." So mm-hmm. there's a moment of partisan, nonpartisanship, mm-hmm. which I think is good. Mm-hmm. But I think you're absolutely right. You see this um, desire to um, to constantly score political points being more important than actually governing. Right. And I think the Ford government here in Ontario has has been somewhat guilty of taking a long time to transition from being an opposition party to actually being uh, a government. Right. I think this last this last session that we're now into the second week, mm. we've seen a less of the constant jumping up and the standing ovations in the house and the the rote uh, mm. thanking each other of the great jobs that they're mm. doing that was starting to seem a bit weird, frankly. So perhaps they're starting to transition away from feeling like they're an opposition party and actually starting to mm. feel like they're the government. Right. Yeah. Uh, interesting point. Um, so speaking of the, the Ford government, uh, how, is, how, is the, how are you guys getting your news from the government? <laughs> well, uh, like always, it is a combination of uh, what the government wants you to hear mm. uh, and what we hear ourselves. 
Um, and Travis Danresh is our Queen's Park Bureau Chief down there. They're doing an amazing job. He's got great sources within the party. Um, and so he's constantly breaking news about, you know, things that the government doesn't really want you to know. I'll, you know, here's an example of something the government didn't want you to know. Jim Wilson, the MPP uh, and former cabinet minister, minister of economic development, you may recall last fall, suddenly resigned. Mm. And they said that he um, was resigning for personal mm. issues. Mm. And then we discovered that through Travis's reporting that no, um, there had been an accusation of sexual misconduct. Right. Um, so that's an example of something the government doesn't want you to know. Right. Um, then there is what we have just been talking about, which is the transformation of the healthcare system, right. <laughs> which is something that the government then says, okay, all the journalists, you can come in. We're doing something called a technical briefing. This is a, a, a briefing that's off the record. Uh, no attribution. It's just for background only. The bureaucrats are there. You mm. can get read right into the you know the document. Get right down. You can ask them incredibly technically detailed questions that you need to understand. Mm. You know to have a holistic understanding of what what the change is, so that somehow then I can go and distill that into a, two minutes on mm. the news that mm. night. But that's how the government then is doing something where it's directly communicating yeah. its stories through journalists. Right. Is there a – because I heard something about that that they've created their own news. Yes. Well, this is the Ontario News Network. Mm. Yes. Um, it is a arm. It's a social media arm of – it is arm of caucus services. Mm. Now, let me explain that because there's often accusations that this is being funded by taxpayer money. Mm. And <clears throat> I guess technically it is. Caucus services – and the way the government works is there's uh, governments or parties get funding once they hit the official party status and mm. then based on their uh, their votes, they get a certain amount of money mm. and that money goes to fund things like caucus services and then the, it, it's the party itself that decides what it wants to do with that money. So this is the money that the liberals, when they were in power, they spent it on different things like sending what they call spies to the conservative Convention, you know, so they spend liberals there to do that, and and when the liberals were in opposition, they'd complain about this being this was taxpayer money. Mm. Well, now what the government has decided to do with their money from uh, caucus services is establish this small uh, news service, which is really just on social media. It's on Facebook, it's on Twitter, and a couple other platforms, hosted by Lindsay Vanstone, who uh, was a former journalist, mm. um, and. Basically, they get out the government, you know, the government line. It's essentially a government press release. Sure. Yeah. That's how that works. Okay. Um, listen, you, you had a, a couple of requests for some tunes. Oh, right? boy. Yeah. How'd you feel about that? No, great. But, yeah? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you, you mentioned Drake. You mentioned uh, Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. A couple of good songs. There, there's some great artists. Uh, we have a couple of those songs lined up, and I think we have... Uh, well, you have a choice. Okay. You've, you've got uh, Drake in My Feeling. You've got uh, Middle Child by J. Cole, and oh, you've yeah. got Element by Kendrick. Well, I think just, you know, I, we, we have the radio edits of these, right? Or are, are, is, this, is the CRTC going to, are we going to get sued? I don't, I can't, don't, I don't, I I'm can't sure get called. I'm director up. has gone over these. <laughs> I and, can't uh, get called in front of the CRTC again. <laughs> But, uh, you know, in, in, in honor of the name of the radio station, I mean, is it too cheesy? Let's go right. Kendrick Lamar. This All is right. Kendrick Lamar with, with an album, by the way, that won a Pulitzer. Hey. This album won a Pulitzer, and it's an incredible record. Top to bottom, I recommend listening to it. <laughs> Couldn't said it better. Let's give it a listen on Element FM. And you're back on Element FM, uh, 106.5 in Toronto and 95.7 in Ottawa. And uh, just before the break, we heard from Element by Kendrick Lamar. And that's spelled differently than our name, of course. But uh, choice of our guest today, Alan Carter, who is a global news reporter for uh, News at 5.30 and 6 and also the host of Focus Ontario. And we're pleased to have him with us today. Alan, we're glad you joined us. Great to be here. Thanks again. So, listen, I'm just wondering, uh, I'm going to test your memory as, as we get on to some. I'm just wondering... What is your best memory in in working in this industry? Oh. 
My my best professional memory. Sure, it's tough to pick just one. Hmm. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, there have been so many things. The, the The joy of this job is being able to do things that and see things that no one else gets to mm-hmm. see. Mm-hmm. You, you, it's a privilege. It, is. it truly yeah. is a privilege, mm-hmm. and I, I am honored that. Um, Global News and in, in all of its various ownership forms, all of the different companies it's been owned by, uh, has decided to keep me employed and continue to pay me mm. to do these things <laughs> and have these experiences. Uh, I, I think that for me, uh, I traveled to Kingston, Jamaica with then Toronto Police Chief Julian Fantino. Oh, yeah. Uh, and this was on a fact finding a mission by Fantino to build bridges between um, the Toronto police and the uh, Jamaican constabulary and to also try and deal with a, a, you know, a a gang problem that Mm. had Mm -hmm. been reaching between the island and to the streets of Toronto. Uh, And uh, in that, I got to tour Hanatown and a couple of other uh, places that I just never, ever would have been able to see. Mm. Um, and it was remarkable, and it was eye-opening, and and um, and then one day, just as part of the coverage, as we were doing stories and all of it, we drove a car, we got a car, and we drove across the island to the other side of the island to where all the resorts were, mm. uh, and just to do a piece on the dichotomy, we yeah. went to the one of these beaches that was full of tourists, mm. and to 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 within you know two hours to yeah. see the luxury resort and then drive back to see the slums of Kingston was something. Mm. Um, That's an interesting kind of segue. Um, I'd like to talk about indigenous people and indigenous situations in Canada. Um, When you say that, I think of just uh, down, you know, probably if you drive an hour outside of Toronto in any direction, except maybe south because of the lake, but... uh, there are indigenous communities within southern Ontario and right around this this entire country, um, some of which are exactly like you pointed out, third world countries. They're, they're right in this country and they're not far from here. And it's, uh, I, I don't know how many people know of, they might know of those situations, but they haven't been to them. They don't know what they're like to see them. They don't know what it's like for those people to live in the conditions they live in. And I'm just wondering what your sense is of the, the general Canadian population or Toronto population, whatever it might be from, from your perspective, in terms of hearing of Indigenous issues in the news? I think that there has been um, an attitude change. Mm-hmm. And before we began our discussion on the air, we, we sort of mentioned it, and I do agree that there has been... Um, I, th- I think there's a general sense of embarrassment um, when we see the the stories of you know kids with rashes and boil water advisories and mm. grassy narrows and I mean the list goes on and on and on and it's you know you talk about a difficult file um, I don't there's, I don't think there is one in Canadian politics that's more difficult than this um, but I think there has been an attitude change that uh, that. There is a, a collective will that something must be done. However, I think that there is, we have not yet seen that will transformed into action. Mm. Where do you think that has to come from? Do you think it's just government? Do you think it has to be the general population, the, uh, the, the a Canadian will? Uh, I know the Truth and Reconciliation Commission has helped a lot in terms of getting that message out there, and there's been that change, that that that, that word you used, embarrassment. Um, do you think that anything will come of that embarrassment? I mean, it, it's one thing to be embarrassed. It's another to do something about it, as you said. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, I think, unfortunately, what history tells us is that embarrassment rarely turns into action without tragedy. Mm. Well, there's been plenty of tragedy within the uh, First Nations community. Um, 
Now, we talked a little bit, of course, before going on the air about about this in, in terms of, do you think that, that the general Canadian population understands the relationship between between Canada or the government or the Crown, in fact, and and what those treaties were established to, to do. Do you, do you think that there's a general understanding of, of the relationship and what what those treaties were set up and why they were set up and, and what that involves? No, absolutely not. I don't. I don't think that there's. A, I think you could you could spend a lot of time just trying to uh, un, you know establish a basic understanding of mm. what the treaty system was, how it worked how each treaty in itself is different mm-hmm. uh, and how treaties from, you know, I, I, uh, my, my parents for many years had a vacation property in Ipperwash. Mm. So, mm. you know, I, right. I, I, sure. I, I got to know. What, it's a nice community. It's it, a nice it, place. To, it's, a, it's a lovely, yeah. lovely area, but it is also, you know, there's the military barracks there. Yep. You know, as kids, we would go there and, mm. and play on, you know, be there at, uh, at you know, uh, at the provincial park there. Yep. Um, and, and then subsequently learned a lot more about what we didn't know anything about yeah. that, what, what that meant, what mm. that treaty was. Mm. And so I think that that's a, it's a very difficult thing. And I, and I, I don't think there is no, still to this day, uh, I think there's a general ignorance wrong amongst the non-Indigenous uh, population about what treaties even were or yeah. are. Do you think that there could be enough stories told about the indigenous population or the issues facing them that would uh, would help with uh, with the um, with, with getting those those things changed? Well, I think this radio station is part of that. Mm-hmm. I think you know um, getting those stories out. I think <clears throat> you know there has been a you talk about a change in attitude towards a number of things. I think there has been a vast change in the uh, appreciation of uh, indigenous culture and art in this mm, country, mm. I think, you know. Um, I remember seeing Tribe Called Red not too mm. many years ago right. and a crowd just, you know, so excited. Yeah. And you much. think, okay, you know, like this 10 years ago, I don't think this happens. Mm. Regardless, you know, if the, even if they were playing grunge music, it doesn't mm. matter. I like, I just don't know if it. I, I don't know if it happens, and right. I think that's a great thing. Sure. So we talked about y- your best memory. What and, and I, you know, I, I mean, I've done some reporting with APTN, and and I, you know, gone out to to do some things, and I'm just wondering. Uh, and I I have to say that I take my hat off to people that cover hard hitting stories. I, I think it really does take a certain kind of person to go out and do that day in and day out and be exposed to that kind of stuff. Just like you said, it is a privilege to see these things that no one else gets to see. But it also takes a burden on you. Don't, do, you do you not agree that it, that it, it is, it, 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 it's hard to see some of these stories every day and report on these things every day? Absolutely. You're, you're absolutely correct. And, and you have to... You know, I, I you have to take care of yourself. I mean, when when I talk to young journalists and and young reporters who come into the station, I often say to them, "It's it's a marathon, mm. not not a dash." Right. You got to take care of yourself. You got to look after your own mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I don't mean to be maudlin or you know about it because mm-hmm. every everyone's job is hard on some level, and it's right. a job, and, and so. You know, and it's what I choose to do. Let's sure. just let's put that in yeah. the beginning. But for a couple of uh, a number of years, when I first came to Toronto, working for Global, I was the crime reporter. Mm. So this was my job every day. Um, and as you know, as part of that, you're dealing with a lot of tragedy and a lot of horrible yeah. stories, sure. and a lot of talking to parents who have lost their child in some horrible, violent fashion, and trying mm. to empathize with them and communicate yes. to them, and and. That took an enormous toll on me. Mm. Um, and then when my daughter was born in uh, 2005, I couldn't do it anymore. Mm. Um, and I have, and I, I changed beats and I went and did a, did a different job just because that part of the business was too hard for me. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I mean, we have, a, we have the best crime reporter in the city with Catherine McDonald right now. Mm. Um, and... She, you know, and I know it takes a toll on her some days too. Sure, yeah, it's it's very it's very hard. And and you know that other side of the story that you were just relaying, 
of talking to these people in the front lines, talking to these families, talking to these parents who may have lost someone and, and whoever that might be. Uh, and and it's your job to talk to them. It's your job to try and get that story out for the for the general public to know. Um, and uh, when you're in that moment, uh, sometimes, uh, it, it, like you said, it's it's difficult. And trying to find the words to to get that person to share that story is difficult. And also, you know, the the range of uh, reactions too. Yeah, you know, sure. the doors would slam. Mm. The, you know, you'd be sworn at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always felt, you know, you always felt terrible about that. But you know, it then the next time someone would invite you in and serve you coffee and cake and mm. show you photos of their loved one and 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 feel perhaps in their tragedy some kind of I don't I don't wouldn't say healing but something that yeah. that helped by sharing that story. Yeah. yeah. So you never knew. Right. And so you had to ask. Yeah. Yeah. Um over your time and and as you say you've changed beats, you've done different things, you've obviously mixed it up with a lot of other journalists as well and cover stories and those kind of things. Um what would you say? Do you would you say that journalists uh, get um, tunnel vision to some degree over time? And, and what I mean by that is not being able to see the big picture, get too focused on what they're they're looking at, and and maybe get a little jaded or something. I yeah. Well, obviously, being jaded is. Um that that's a real that 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 is a real issue and something that over my entire career mm. in life I think I've tried to constantly like mm. all right let's get that mm. horse back into mm-hmm. the barn. Mm-hmm. Be, I remember when I first started in journalism in my twenties in Vancouver. I you know older, much more experienced reporters would say, "You are way too young to be this cynical. You can't start at mm. this level." Mm. Um, and I kind of laughed it off at the time, but. You begin to realize that um, there's a lot of hope in life. There's a lot of positive out there. There's good stories to be told too. And I'm, by good stories, I don't mean well. You know, we somehow put our head in the stand and and don't see the hard stories. Mm. But there's things to rejoice in as well. In terms of tunnel vision, that it, that that also is a professional. Um, uh, pitfall that can happen mm. where you really, if you're focusing in on one thing and then you really get down into the weeds and mm. you need to every once in a while have your, you know, your head yanked back up. Mm. And that's what a good editor does for right, you. Right. A good editor will say, oh, hold on, you mm-hmm. know, like you are sweating the minutia here. Right. Let's, let, and we yeah. go right back to where we started, which right. is what's the relatable thing for the audience? Yeah. What's the big thing? What's mm. the thing we need to communicate here? Mm. Uh, so that's, a, that's another thing. What do you, tell us about the team. I mean, you're, you don't do this by yourself. You work with a team. How's the team help pull all this together? That's a great question, and I'm so glad you asked that because uh, journalism is a team sport as much as it can be a solo endeavor. And mm. But uh, in terms of television and broadcasting, and if you're, you're a broadcast journalist, which is yeah. what I am, yeah. there's, you know, there's a lot of people. There's There's Andrew who, you know, is 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 riding the things there? You, you got anything to? You got you got you got Andrew's uh, <laughs> Andrew, operator here. Is, engineer operator. He's an engineer the show operator. Today. Yep. Uh, you, you you got another Bon Mott for me? You took a couple of shots <laughs> of me earlier in the break, <laughs> which were deserved. Which were deserved. But you know, wisecracking assistants. Yeah. You know, people not assistants, but operators. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and those technical people. Those are the people that get you out in front of there. Those mm. are the people that get you the you know the opportunity. Sure. When I do Focus Ontario, there's a small crew of dedicated people who stay late work yeah. hard yeah. and they do it because yeah. they love it right and whenever I talk to you know classes of you know journalism students or broadcasting students I always you know whenever they come to the station I say you notice how many people there are like me mm. that have my kind of job mm. and how many people have jobs like Anders mm. there's a lot more Anders here right. than there are Alan's right, right. yeah for sure so listen, our time is kind of winding down. I'm just wondering if there's something that uh, we haven't spoken about that's on your mind, you want to share, you want to talk about. Oh, I know one thing. Uh-oh. 
and you just uh, you just mentioned it earlier. Actually, you're you're gonna you're gonna be your own host of a radio program. Hey, how's about <laughs> that? Uh, this is so exciting. This is and this I, you, I, I'm breaking the news here. I haven't talked are. about this anywhere yet. Breaking news. Uh, this is breaking news. Um, Even and, before and global well to some degree. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as of uh, next week, I begin a uh, daily radio show on uh, um, Global News Radio 640 AM 640. Here at uh, the Chorus Station, and it goes from noon till one, Monday to Friday. It mm. starts next Tuesday, and it's going to be wild. And is, is um, there a focus on that? It's going to be Ontario affairs. Okay, uh, going to be the news of the day. Mm. It's going to be some bad jokes. <laughs> um, I, it's going to be some hip hop music, hopefully radio edits, mm. and I, you know. <laughs> Um, and well, you know, we're going to, we're going to tell stories too. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I love. Yeah. We're going to tell you about what's happening that day right. and why it's important and okay. set you up for the day. ahead. And here's the most important thing, David, this is the thing that I strive to do every day. I strive to make you a better cocktail party guest. Mm. That's my that's my goal. All right. So that the next time you're at a cocktail party, <laughs> you are better informed. Yeah. You got a couple of other bits you can yeah, throw in. Yeah. Maybe you can steal a couple of my jokes. That's what it's all about. Don't take the bad ones, which are pretty much <laughs> all of them. But that's what we're going to try and do in this radio <laughs> Sounds show. Sounds great. Uh, we'll be sure to, to try and listen in if we have the time. So uh, listen, uh, speaking of jokes... Oh boy! Have you yeah. got a, uh, a a journalism joke that you can share that's safe for the air? <laughs> uh, I have a hipster joke. Okay. Uh, and this one's for Andrew. All right. Okay. Uh, how many hipsters does it take to screw in a light bulb? Andrew. Uh, I tell you, I I tell you, but the numbers really obscure. You probably haven't heard of it. That that was yeah. hey oh hey, hey, thank you yeah <laughs> the time is eleven fifty six oh and that radio show starts Tuesday <laughs> we're working on my comedy all weekend so uh, we we are winding how much time we got uh, Andrew three minutes well we got three minutes still we do have another song to play you had uh, requested a couple of other ones well let's get to our hometown hero a little drizzy how about a little drizzy drake okay it is in my feeling i want to say just before we go that you are listening to element fm i'm your host david moses this has been moment of truth our guest today has been alan carter he is uh, a host of uh, focus ontario and global news at 5 30 and 6 and soon to be starting his own radio program as well uh, Monday to Friday. It's been a pleasure having you on today. I really appreciate you coming in and taking the time to do this. It's been great to be here. Thank you so much. Andrew, do you love me? Are you riding there beside me? <laughs> Hit me. <laughs> All right. This is Drake in, in My Feelings on <laughs> Element FM. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you tomorrow.